Well, well, there we go. What a great start to the day, <laughs> to the morning. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for sticking with us there. I guess we lost about sort of five, six minutes. Um, and but here we are. This is uh, this is it's Sunday morning. God is good, and that never changes. So, yes, I'm here to preach this morning. Um, and yeah, I just. Um, to set some context, you may remember back in September, Flick and I were uh, doing a preach, or we, we were in charge of a service, and it was a service about family. Um, we felt moved to talk on the subject of family. Um, and on that day, I, um, I, you know, I had a preach and it didn't quite happen on that day. So I've actually, I'm sort of bringing what we brought back in September to finish off. So this is almost like part two of a preach that we've done together. Um, and I know that it may have been September, but I still feel like it's um, kind of a pertinent word, something that God's been talking to me about for a long time um, and talking to, to Flick about for a long time as well. Um, and something that we really um, are, are thinking about and musing on. And so I've you know, updated it a little bit from, from what uh, we were talking about in September. But <clears throat> let's give it a go. And let's hope all the tech stands up to it. Um, let's hope that um, everything keeps working. And... Yeah, well, we'll see anyway. So, okay, Lord, come, come now. Um, thank you guys for joining us, and I just pray now for for an uninterrupted stream from here on out. Um, all right, thank you, Father. Right, so, <clears throat> family. Um, I suppose throughout this time, we obviously all know that we've been going through a pretty unprecedented uh, time for now a year, almost a year. Um, and that obviously has affected church in a in a big way. Um, we listened to Rick last week talking um, and and talking about the a bit about the reset and about um, you know what where's church going to move after this? What's going to happen with that? That's obviously a concern of mine, and I'm trying to think about that quite a lot because you know being a person who who works for a church. Um, so really today, this family. There's so much you could say about that I could say about family, uh, that I think God's been speaking to me about. <clears throat> but what's been on my mind um, is three questions, really. So to, to try and give you a kind of structure as to what I'm going to try and talk about here, really, there's three um, questions which I've been thinking about and trying to pray to God about. Um, the first one is, obviously, church got, I suppose that's a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a dramatic word, church got decimated. Um, all the things that we did for church... Um, all the things that we were used to basically stopped, um, and they've still stopped, and we can't physically meet, or, you know, you know the score. Uh, obviously, that got, so in a way, church, the model that we had has, has been broken um, and has been taken apart. Um, so there's that question, because we feel like we might be, you know, going back to a slightly different expression of church again as things change, as whatever happens with COVID and vaccines and things like that. But that's the question. So how, how do we put it back together? Um, how do we, how do we, um, where do we go from here? So that's a question that I've been thinking about quite a lot. Um, during this time, I've been speaking to a lot of people from church, uh, not just not just our church as well, you know, various churches, sometimes family members who are going to a church somewhere else, um, you know, and a lot of them are asking the same question, or I've been having the same conversation with a lot of people. Um, how do you help people who have feel like they've drifted away from their church family. Um, that's something I've had a, that conversation on repeat many times. Um, and there's a lot of people who are just thinking, 
you know, what uh, I feel a bit disconnected. Um, it's not quite um, that kind of familial aspect that I used to have. It's, it's not there. I've drifted away. Um, and genuinely, <clears throat> I've had a conversation with quite a few people who have said they're not coming back now. You know, they've decided um, maybe not so much that uh, they're not coming back, but I need a bit of time to get a sense of what God's calling me to. Um, the The, <laughs> you know, I had the conversation with three or four people who said, you know, I don't really feel like my church feels like family anymore. No one's got out, no one's gone out of their way to get in touch with me um, and show me my value while I'm while church has been um, has been taking a break. Um, and some of the people, some people I've talked to, it's as if they've some of these people I'm talking to are very mature Christians as well, but they feel that it's something they actually realised they had before church stopped meeting and that lockdown has kind of clarified, um, highlighted it a little bit more. Um, and they're not saying that they're turning away from God, but they're just not sure about the authenticity of this kind of familial expression of church that they, that they desire, that everyone seems to desire. So how do we help people who are, feel like they're drifting away from a church family? Um, and that big question that everyone always says, you know, where is God calling me? What's my calling? What's my destiny in Christ? You know, that's what it seems to have got people questioning. And this, this whole thing, you know, and maybe I used to fit in in a particular way in church. I mean, I felt like I was, um, you know, I knew what my calling, my destiny was. Now I'm thinking about it. What is my calling and destiny in Christ? Um, now, I'm going to try and answer that question for you today. <laughs> so this is going to be a big ask. But that, that question, um, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question um, or you've, you know, had other people ask it to you. You know, what's my destiny? What's my calling in Christ? Um, now, as I said, this preach is about family. Um, but that I'm going to try and answer that question for you today, okay? Um, right. So let's... Let's kind of, uh, let's move on to the next bit. Um, so, back to question one again. Okay, the church got, got taken apart. How do we put it back together again? Now, the, really, the thing that I often reflect on in the Bible is, it doesn't tell you in the Bible how to do church. Um, there's a few bits that are, you know, that give you some good direction on various things. Um, but... Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus or Paul or somebody had just said, right, do church this way, you know, go in at 10.30 in the morning, do some notices, do some, you know, do some worship, do you know, 25 minutes. Um, you know, wouldn't it be easier if the Bible just said, right, church, do, do church in this way, okay, here's a blueprint, here's a model. It doesn't have that, right? So instead, what you have in the Bible is a succession, um, dozens, actually, of metaphors of what the church is, okay? So you have... Lots and lots of metaphors. If you're trying to figure out how do we put a church back together again, how do we build one, right? You have lo you have several different metaphors. You have the vineyard, you have the bride, you have the house of God, you have temple. One author um, has actually gone through the Bible and they counted 96 different metaphors for what the church is um, within the Bible. You know, trying to describe what the uh, you know which which just to, to describe the different aspects of how church should operate. Um, Anyway, the big one, the one that definitely gets the most airtime in the Bible, uh, the one that's written about the most, uh, mostly by Paul probably, is the body, okay? The body. So we, um, we often talk about being the body of Christ, right? Um, <clears throat> and this, like I say, this is one that's used the most in the Bible. Amazing metaphor. It's brilliant. It's so rich, so deep. There's so much we can learn from, um, from this metaphor. Um, it's also the go-to one if you're going to try and figure out how to make church again, if you're going to put church back together, okay? Um, 
the body is described in loads of different passages. I'm going to focus a bit on 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 today. There's lots of other passages you could find in the Bible about the church being the body of Christ. Um, but as I say, if you're going to make a church, if you're going to make something that operates um, and that works together, um, the body, you know, something which has a, a big series of interdependent parts, you know, it has hands, it has feet, it has legs, it has the head, of course, which is Jesus. And all these interdependent parts have their own role. They all work together. They're all connected together. Um, and if you want something which is going to work with a kind of task-oriented model, uh, this is, is perfect, you know, because you can assign different people to what their giftings are, find out what people's giftings are, um, assign them a role uh, within the church, and, you know, that'll work. Um, now, and I'm not saying anything's wrong with this. This is, a, this is a perfect way to create a church, to build a church, okay? Um, have you ever wondered about your own giftings? Um, have you ever been to, uh, anyone ever done a strengths finder in church uh, to find out what kind of, uh, you know, giftings you particularly have? Um, and who's ever read loads of books about the destiny that Christ has for you and your giftings and how to follow them out, you know, and and, and fulfill all your kind of gifting potential from, from God in your life? Um, so, and again, I'm getting back to question three again that I said here, what is my destiny in Christ, you know? Um, so I'm going to try and answer that. So, First of all, I'm going to read through a bit of 1 Corinthians 12, though. 1 Corinthians 12 is a great passage about giftings in the church, the various giftings in the church. Um, and I, one thing I really felt like I had a revelation with this, um, I'm going to try and describe this later because I always, I, you know 1 Corinthians 13, everybody knows this, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Um, it's one of those... Um, one of those amazing passages you get at weddings all the time. We didn't choose it at our wedding, but we almost did. Um, and it's this brilliant passage. So I'm always really familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, yeah? Um, love is patient. It's, it describes love maybe in the best way you can that you, that you get in the Bible. It's an incredible, incredible passage. I felt like I had a real revelation when I read 12 into 13. So I'm going to try and take you through that a bit today. This is when, when I was really kind of praying over this preach. I read something and it, I just, I'd skipped over it before. And then it came back to me and it, it suddenly was like a revelation. So I'm going to try and talk about that. But first, let's, I'll read through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, okay? So here's 4 to 11, talking about giftings in the church. So, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the, manifest of the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will, just as he wills. Um, verse 12 actually says as well, you know, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, all are members of the body, though they are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. Um, okay, so, you know, great passage for listing all those different giftings there. You can see the, uh, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, affecting of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, you know, all these uh, really, really good kind of guides for, for different giftings within the church. Um, also, if you skip ahead a little bit towards uh, verse 27 and 28 of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, that's where you have the um, fivefold ministry, you know. Um, so you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healings, helps administrations, various kinds of tongues. 
like I said about the strength finders thing again, um, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's try, to try and find out, um, you know, whether you fall more into the kind of prophetic camp or the um, apostolic camp and, you know, what are your, what's your giftings from Christ. Um, okay, so that, that's 1 Corinthians 12. Now, talking about the uh, bit of revelation I felt like I had, I might have just missed this because, and everyone else might just read, you know, see this and think, well, that was obvious anyway. You know, the end of the passage, there's just, you know, when you have a line in the Bible, um, especially at the end of chapters into next next chapters, uh, which is kind of a little bit, it doesn't seem to be much in it, but you know there's just something, a bit of a seed in that in that line. Um, if you actually look to um, 12 verse 31, the end of the, the end of that passage, um, it says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And it ends with a line saying, and I show you a still more excellent way. Okay. Now, and that is a segue into 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. So he's saying, now, now I'll show you a still more excellent way. Um, so interesting, isn't it? So what is the most, the more excellent way? So I'm just going to go over again into 1 Corinthians 13. Um, in the NASB, that section is, is titled, as it says there, the excellence of love. Um, you know, there's a more excellent way. What is the excellent way? Love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is this amazing, rich um, explanation and kind of description of what love really is, a kind of a godly love. Um, let me talk through this. Um, let me talk through this passage just a little bit because here's the revelation I got. I never even realized that chapter that 1 Corinthians 13 is in the context of 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, and also in the context of some of the things that Jesus said. Um, so. Let's read it from the start. So if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, just to pause there. As it says, if I speak with the tongues of men, back in verse 12, it talks about tongues being one of the giftings. You can see 12.28. Okay, and carrying on. If I have the gift of prophecy, 12.28 again talks about the gift of prophecy. I know all mysteries and knowledge. God's appointed teachers. Um, if I have all faith as to remove mountains, um, Jesus said that in um, Matthew 21, 21. Also, obviously, that was at the start of um, between verse, verses 4 and 11 and 12, talking about the gift of faith. Um, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, um, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Um, that might not be a big revelation that I've just had, but I was just so interested when I read it. I thought, wow, yeah, verse 13 is in the context of 12. Um, and this line... Where, where, where Paul says, um, now I show you a more excellent way. Now I think the point that is that is coming to me that I'm kind of that I'm trying to make here. Um, as twelve goes into thirteen, the thought struck me that giftings in the church, giftings being fulfilled, giftings moving in giftings. This is brilliant. This is excellent. This is such a good way to build a church. And this is such a good, you know, the body metaphor is so rich, so deep, and we could, um, you know, continue to build churches in this way. When we try to rebuild church again, that's, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's assign people via their giftings. But there's just something about the excellence of love. And it, as I said, in the, in the end of 12 into 13, he says, let me show you now a more excellent way. Um, so is there, does that mean there's a more excellent way than moving in giftings? I hope I'm not kind of um, recontextualizing it too much here. But this is something that I sort of, that I've really, um, that's really hit me as I read this passage. So, as I say, you know, what is a more excellent way that he's talking about? 
verse 13, the excellence of love. That's what it's all about. Um, actually, when you read on more into 1 Corinthians 13 as well, the famous bit, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. It talks about love in this incredible way. When you get to uh, verse 8, you know, it says, love never fails. There are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. What's the perfect? The perfect is, is Jesus, the perfection of his love, the, the love of God. Um, and, you know, it's almost, when I read this, I sort of think to myself, could it be that actually, instead of us trying to thrive in our giftings and discover what our giftings are so that we can find our place in the body, maybe an even more excellent way is to actually strive to become the love of God. Um, and what does that mean? You know, how, how do we do that? This, this could be a huge, this could be a huge um, thing just to talk about in itself. You know, love, how do you talk about the love of God and how to become love? Um, so let's actually leave that there for a second. And let me get back to question three, um, because just going back for a section, that question, I've had this conversation with, I'd say four or five people over lockdown uh, about, you know, what's my destiny? What's my calling in Christ? And most of them will re refer to things like 1 Corinthians 12, you know, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Prophetic, you know, apostolic teaching, all this kind of stuff. Um, let me just look at the word for a minute. What is it? The word destiny or calling in the Bible, right? Um, just so you know, um, it's a Greek word called proorizo. So proorizo, I'm guessing is how you uh, how you say it. And it means destiny slash predestination, right? It's used eight times in the New Testament, right? Interestingly, it isn't used in the Old Testament. Um, doesn't exist. Uh, there's no Aramaic, no Hebraic. Uh, no Hebrew equivalent of this word. Um, that's another subject, which is something that I also have a bit of a revelation on. But, um, you know, this it's a New Testament word, it's a Greek word, this idea of destiny slash predestination. Now, what does it say when it talks about um, this in the Bible? Now, it mentions it eight times, like I say. In Acts and in 1 Corinthians, it uses it, and it's talking about Jesus and Jesus' crucifixion. Okay, so it's using it in the context of Jesus' crucifixion was predestined to occur. Okay, I'll read the passages in a minute. Um, um, in Romans and Ephesians, it's being used, and the context where it's used every time is that people are predestined to be like Jesus. And the calling on God's people is to be like Jesus, that we were predestined to be like Jesus. Um, let me read some of these passages, right? Now, Romans 8, 28 to 30. Uh, a passage that I think everybody knows, everyone's been going on, for, you know, going for through lockdown as well. He works all things together for the good of those who love God. Let's read the whole thing. So, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, yeah, this, this, you see that word predestined is used twice there. That's two of the eight in the New Testament. Um, and it's, we're predestined to be like Jesus, right? There's no mention of you're predestined to be a prophet or to be an apostle or, you know, this calling on your life, which, um, you know, you have is some specific thing about, you know, whatever kind of 
activities and, and functions, you're predestined to be like Christ. Uh, let me just read one of Ephesians 1, 5-6 as well. In his love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us uh, in the beloved. I, uh, <laughs> the, I, didn't think, I didn't think I'd get emotional about this passage, actually. Uh, something else, um, adoption. Uh, I'm going to talk a little about adoption. Um, this is the other part where predestination is used in the New Testament, uh, that he predestined to adopt um, sons. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that later. I'm, I'm kind of blown away by this, um, this side of things at the moment. So um, I'm going to get back to that. But again, he's predestined people to adopt them as his sons and to, be, uh, to be, become conformed to Jesus. Um, just to get a bit of Old Testament context, um, this is, if you look back to the Old Testament at um, Leviticus 20:26, 20, um, right from the start, um, God said, you know, thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. This is when God was given the law. Um, that predestination, you can, you can trace it back to the very start of, the, of Leviticus, you know. You can see when God actually um, had that decision in mind and he knew where he was going. He knew where he was trying to take us. Uh, 1 Peter talks about that same thing as well, um, when he talks about us as a royal priesthood. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of his darkness and into his marvellous light. For once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, now, I said a lot of scripture there. Let me um, just go on to an interesting um, thought. So, those passages, you, 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 you know, there's lots of you through there. I've set you apart from the peoples to be mine. You know, you are a chosen race, a royal, a royal priesthood. You once were not a people. Okay. This word you, right? Let me just get put a thought in your head here. Uh, this wasn't my thought. This is from an amazing Bible scholar that I was listening to. He said to me, uh, he said, do you know what the um, most mistranslated word is in the Bible? So I thought he was going to say something like, oh, maybe it would be predestination or it'd be like, you know, one of those strange words. He said, you, right, you. He said, when you read the Bible, when God's talking to people, when he's talking to somebody and saying you, try and think of you in the collective. Um, try not to think of it in the individual. Um, and here's an interesting thought. Like, do you know that in the last uh, 10 years, the most searched online Bible passage has changed. Uh, do you know what it used to be? Anyone want to guess? Do you know, if you put in a comment there, I can see you making a comment as well. But anyway, the most searched um, online Bible passage till about 10 years ago was John 3.16. Um, I guess we know John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Amazing passage. I reckon it's Billy Graham who made it that so popular. I reckon that's why people search for it so much. What a legend. Um, Anyway, do you know, that passage has changed in the last 10 years. Now the most searched passage is Jeremiah 29.11, right? Now I'm guessing that, um, yes, Stephen, well played. <laughs> That's great. I can see Stephen came up, top marks to Stephen, 10 out of 10. Um, yes, absolutely. The most online searched passage now, it seems like the passage that most people want to be, re you know, want to be reading is Jeremiah 29.11. Now that was the one that says, now I have, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Okay? 
beautiful passage, amazing, really reassuring, lovely. Um, now, unfortunately, if you take that meaning you, as in, got, you know, me, me as an individual, that's actually miscontextualizing the, the passage. Now, that passage is actually, <laughs> I would recommend you go and read that full passage. It might not be quite as comforting as you think. And actually, that is a message to the exiles in Babylon at that time. Um, and it's a message to a group of people who basically had a mass disobedience, which caused all their problems and caused their exile. <laughs> um, and if you read further into that passage, it doesn't go so, so positive anymore. <laughs> um, but the point is, when God is saying you, even in these really comforting passages, he's saying you, 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 you know, and we can take those passages and go, oh, God's saying, I've got a hope and a future for me. God was talking to a people. God was talking to a group. Um, God was talking to his people. And I just encourage you, when you read the Bible and you read those passages and it says you all the time, maybe just try and think about it in the collective for a minute because most of the context of when God is talking like that, he's saying you. He's talking to a people group. He's not talking to an individual. Um, now, why is this important? Why does it really matter? Um, I'm trying to kind of paint a picture here that, again, I said before, you know, what's a more excellent way than operating in gifts in the body and having everybody, you know, operating in what they've been gifted to as their role? Um, the, the Bible, this question of what is my destiny in Christ, um, what's my, my calling which I'm going to fulfill, it's not really, if you really read the Bible, that idea doesn't really come from the Bible. Um, it's so this thing about personal destiny, without any doubt, um, this. Uh, oh, so I'm actually. Well, I'm just going to go past that slide for a minute. Um, if you look right from the beginning, um, God's plan was always God's destiny, God's pre predestination for people, all the way from the very start. I really recommend, right, there's a book which you have to read. Um, it's called <clears throat> The Gifts of the Jews by Thomas Cahill. And it talks about how the Judeo-Christian um, worldview has defined the entire history of the world and Western civilization for us. And without even knowing it, the, the things that we think, the way that everybody thinks, even atheists and, you know, everybody, the way that people think about things progressing and getting better in the future, that whole idea only exists and only can be seen to exist in the world through Abraham and through the Judeo-Christian worldview that happened. Um, this idea that people have a destiny and they're going forward into something better, um, that is not a natural human thought. Um, but it was God's plan all the way from the beginning. I haven't got time to go into all that now. But it's just in, read that book, honestly. It's an incredible book. But what is your destiny in Christ? You can only really, you can take passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and you can recontextualize them to be about yourself and about this is what God wants me to do. He's got this role for me. He's got this destiny. But honestly, like, without having to do a massive Bible study, actually the real context, I believe, of the Bible is your destiny in Christ is to love people. The most excellent way is 1 Corinthians 13. God is trying to conform you to the image of Jesus, which is love. God is love. Jesus is love. You know, that's that's the thing that he's trying to do. That's your destiny. That's your, your calling and what you're actually being moved towards in your life. Um, what's the context of that love? You know, how does that happen? How do you become, um, how do you become love with, with Christ? Um, you can't, one of the main things is, you know, this is not a, a solo job. Um, it's always from God from the very start. It's always been in the context of family. It's always been in the context of a people group, which he chose and which he exalted and which he has brought throughout history. 
and we, where he's going to take us to heaven together with him. And it's just, you know, it's always been a people group. It's not been individuals. Um, and I believe this is a more excellent way than, than a personal calling or a gifting. Um, now, talking about metaphors, I said that the Bible pictures um, church in metaphors all the way. It's like, well, why doesn't the Bible use family as a metaphor for church more then? Um, it does. The body metaphor is used a lot more than, than family. Um, but one thing you have to remember as well was when, we, when we've written, uh, when it was written in its cultural time, the context of family was entirely different to what it is today. Um, if you are to look at what the Hebrew society was like um, and the Greco-Roman society, all, the, all these things, it was an entirely different way of looking at family. Uh, family was kind of, and I suppose what I would say, family is kind of an implicit value in the Bible. When you read the scriptures, because most of these things that were being read were being read by families. They were, they were not being read by individuals. Um, I, that, there's a lot to say on this point, but I won't anyway. But our culture is so different. I don't even remember if, um, when, if you watched the preach that we did a while ago where I was talking about my three buckets um, and talking about how different the culture um, is now to what it would have been back then. Um, family is part of our culture. Um, I'm going to talk about it in a minute to try it if I have that time. But um, I really believe the kind of the the deconstruction of family as the centre of our culture is really at the heart of why we have a problem with this, um, and the kind of the exaltation of the individual in our society um, is is a real. That's really where we, where this is coming from. So, just as a quick question, you know, why? Why is everyone always searching for their personal destiny? <laughs> um, uh, if it's not the Bible telling people to do that, uh, you know, to fulfill your own personal destiny, um, a few little kind of things from history. Um, if you if you were to look back to Aristotle and Epicurus, um, like really basic early um, Greek philosophy, um, which is kind of the basis of a lot of study that we still do in the West, you know, one of the first things you have to study if you ever do, you know, all sorts of, you know, courses is, is all these kinds of things. Um, and back even in 300, 350 BC, the philosophies of, um, of Aristotle and Epicurus and the Greek kind of fathers, um, their philosophy was all about being virtuous, um, not surrendering to your lowest impulses, and that combined with the pursuit of personal pleasure meant that you could achieve your own personal destiny, right? And that was something which um, was, you know, and, and to be honest, that's laid the foundation for so many things in our in our culture. Um, and I don't want to go through these two things too much. The Enlightenment, um, as the Reformation happened, the Enlightenment happened, and we came out of medievalism in about 1500, basically the, the same kind of thing happened again. Um, this, this idea that what, uh, what the best thing to do is, is to try and reach your own personal destiny. Um, the, do you know, I, what I was struck me when I thought about this was, I, I'm a... I was a teacher, right? don't know if you knew that, but I, I taught for 12 years, you know, teaching music and various other things. But, um, you know, I remembered one of the first things I did when I was first doing teacher training was um, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. So does anyone remember, does anyone, if anyone's done Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs as part of their life or job or whatever, then please stick it down there. You might even have seen the latest one that's funny with the Wi-Fi on the bottom, which is a funny internet meme. But, you know, one of the first things I did when they taught me how to teach kids... They talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I won't try and go through what it is now, but obviously at the very bottom, I don't know if you can see my little graphic here, um, but at the very bottom you have those basic needs um, and you have the things which you need to stay alive 
um, and, the, and things for comfort. And as you go up the, you know, as the hierarchy, these are, this is what's supposed to help you, you know, achieve all the best things in life. Now, the, the very top of that hierarchy is self-actualization, right? So when I was teaching kids, I remember the basis of me teaching in our kind of Western way that we teach is what you want is every kid is an individual um, and what the best thing that can possibly happen in their life is they can self-actualize. They can reach their potential, right? Um, interestingly enough, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow was part of the um, humanistic psychology movement. Uh, and he did this in 1943. Um, the human potential movement took that further in the 1960s. Um, and we cannot get out from underneath this, this thing. Um, I doubt we ever really want to. Um, I think that um, in the heart of man, when you look back in Babel, you know, Babel at the start of the Bible, man has always wanted to do jo God's job better than him. Um, you know, we've always thought, I think we're always going to get back to that stage where we're going to create ourselves into demigods and we can be in control of our own destiny and we can self-actualize however you want to put it. But the thing, this is, this is kind of being um, mixed in with the gospel sometimes. And I believe that a lot of this thing of what's my personal destiny, I think it's kind of because we've merged together some humanistic psychology and also uh, the kind of amazing things that the Bible says about the human value. Um, and I can't go on about this too much, but this um, this thing about question two again, this conversation I've had with people where they're, they're just saying, oh, I feel like I'm drifting away from the family. I feel like I'm not valued. Do you know what? A lot of those people, this isn't meant to be a diss to anybody who feels like I'm saying this about you either, but please, please don't feel it that way. But a lot of people, I think... Um, I guess I thought it myself with worship, you know, I'm in charge of worship rotors. There's stuff I do in church where, you know, this role that I fulfill and it's great and it, it allows me to um, move in my gifting and stuff like that. When that's taken away, um, the question is, you know, does some of your value get taken away? Do you feel like, oh, the thing that I am useful for has gone temporarily? So, you know, what can I, um, so it's just, it's not right. I don't fit anymore. Um, that's that question of, you know, where do you feel your value? Um, and it's, I just think that the, I'm going to try and be sort of a bit challenging. Um, I, let me, right, there's a book by Howard Snyder. I'll stop talking about so many different sources at one point, but it's very interesting, right? There's this book that he wrote called The Community of the King, uh, 1977. Um, brilliant book. Um, he posed the question uh, at that, in that book. Um, and this is obviously late 70s, he posed the question to himself, how would you destroy community? How would you, you know, how would you destroy community in, in, in general? He came up with a few different points, right? So he came up with fragment family life, um, move people away from where they grew up, everyone get bigger houses and gardens, um, separate where people work from where they live, um, everyone get their own car. Back in the end of the 70s, apparently everyone didn't have their own car. Um, replace meaningful communication with TV. Uh, this was pre-internet, of course, as well. Um, and reduce overall family size, make people have smaller families, um, and fill homes with things instead of people. Um, and this book, to me, was sort of a almost prophetic thing that he wrote. It's, it's a, it sounds like a negative thing to say, 
But this idea of how would you go about destroying community, this is a church book. This is written by a guy who he was actually writing about the wider community here. But if you look at how churches um, have changed from being local churches um, and past, um, the, I'm, I'm trying to tread carefully actually because the this is a bit of a negative thing to say. Um, Charles E. Moore uh, sums this up very well in something I read that he wrote where he said, um, you know, today, right now, it's easier than ever for to communicate with each other, but we're losing the ability to commune with each other. Um, and for me, this is all in the context of family. Really, when I've talked to these people um, who have said over lockdown, I feel like I've drifted away from church, you know, all this stuff. What they're really saying, I think, is I don't feel this familial bond. My family feeling that I should have a church is not there anymore. Um, or maybe it was never really there in the first place. Um, or I thought it was and it wasn't. And, you know, this this has just compounded it, made it worse. Um, do we commune with each other? You know, do we actually community? Um, has it been destroyed? Um, with the with the commuter church, this whole thing about everyone gets their own car um, and goes and lives away. You get you know if you want to go to a church that's that's half an hour an hour away from where you live, completely out of your community, then you know why not go for it? You can do that nowadays. All you got to do is get in the car, travel for a little while, um, and there's to to sort of go back to fifteen hundred again. I think I'm using too many threads here, but hopefully this holds together. Do you know, do you know how many churches there are in, do you know, actually to start with, do you know how many churches there are in the UK? Uh, 27,000, roughly. And there's probably a lot more um, because a lot of them aren't like registered as, as real churches. Um, and do you know how many ca uh, churches are in Cambridge? Um, there's over 200, anyway, at last count about 220. And that's all, that's within a, a 16 mile radius, roughly. Um, now, the Reformation, you know, why are there so many churches is one thing I just sometimes think. Um, and I'm not, this is not, I talk about Cambridge as an example, you know, and, but Flick and I, when we lived in Croydon, I remember we, um, we used to travel about a mile and a half to our church. Um, do you know, between our house and church, guess how many churches there were? There's 13 churches in the mile and a half. So 13 out of those 27,000 exist in the UK. Now, I've been talking all day about you know, God's predestining his people to be family, to be a community together, to be a people. Um, and that's our destiny. That's our the thing that we've been predestined to do. Um, looking back at the Reformation, um, the Reformation was amazing, right? I think it's one of the... Uh, Martin Luther is like one of my personal heroes. We're actually about five... We're 503 years past the Reformation now. Um, I won't try and go through the whole thing of what it was if you don't know. But one thing, you know, before the Reformation... You had one church, basically. The Catholic, um, I don't know if you know, but the word Catholic means worldwide, or it means universal. So there was a worldwide universal church, uh, Catholic church. Now, um, it was in a really messed up state. Now, the Reformation had to happen. It was, in, it was amazing. And like I say, I think Martin Luther might have been the bravest man in the history of the world to do what he did. And the guys who you know lived and died for that, was it was incredible. But... I love it. I think it's it's absolutely brilliant and an amazing, important part of history. But, um, you know, before then, there was basically one denomination um, in the world, the Catholic Church. Do you know how many there are now? Do you know that in the world now, there's about 4,300, at least 4,300 recognised Christian denominations? 
Um, so this uh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I suppose this is a question that I'm that I'm kind of posing. Um, but generally, what's happened in history is when as people get to if church denominations clash clash with each other. Um, you know, if they disagree on something, usually a doctrinal point, then usually what's happened is you split into two different denominations and then people can go and worship and do church in their own, you know, their own way, which is a bit better for them. Um, and that's happened obviously over and over again until we've had about 4,300 recognised denominations. Now, I just, I don't know, I just think, does, you have to just think to yourself sometimes, does God, even just take Cambridge, you know, does God look down on 220 churches in a 16 mile radius all slightly different to each other in various ways, you know, a bit of worship different, or, you know, some do incantations, some do scripture, and some have different doctrine, whatever they have. You know, does God look down on the, all those churches um, and just go, this is, you know, this is brilliant. This is, this is the predestined family that I, that I, that I predestined in action, you know. Um, I, like I say, this is challenging, it's challenging stuff, but I just think, um, it's it's just hard to ignore at the moment. It's it's like, is this what God wants? Um, is this, you know? I suppose I've been talking in problems now. What's what's my kind of solution to the problem? I've I've still got more slides. I need to finish actually now because I think I've gone over time really. But the, do you know this familial thing? Family, family of church. Um, have you ever really been to church and it's been your family? You know, and how can you tell that it's really your family? Now I think like. One thing I'd say is the time I've really experienced it, the guys who I now see as my church family, who I've really um, kind of, and it's endured, sometimes it's just because we've got together with a simple aim. Um, and it's it's like often worshipping on the streets, right? Um, or I never even probably, most of you guys probably don't even know how I got in touch with Faith Life, you know, but actually my the way I got in touch with Faith Life, me and my friend Phil, years ago, I had a friend, um, my brother Phil, um, and we used to, we just had an idea. We were like, right, I'm convinced God, we're both convinced God actually wants to talk to people in life and he wants to encounter them um, where they are. So we we just used to go on the street every Saturday. Okay, We used to go on the street, stand there with God, treasure hunt, and just say, God, give us some words for people and we go and talk to them, right? Um, that was, it was amazing. It was one of the most incredible things, um, incredible periods of my life. Um, as a result of that, I ended up being in charge of a, a COG, a community outreach group for a church I didn't even attend. Um, and do you know what? Then, because I was in leadership, I then turned up at a conference in 2011. Uh, and guess who was hosting the conference um, in Westminster? It was Faith Life. <laughs> and guess who I met on that on the second day? Flick. <laughs> and and I literally prayed and said, "God, send me a wife." And then Flick walked in front of me, and then I went and saw her. And that's another another story. But my, my point of this story really is family the people who i now know as my family christian brothers and sisters who i really think i've enjoyed with that familial bond it's people who i actually we decided to just unite around a simple aim and try and just we were convinced that god could move in power and he would actually he wanted to do that in our time and place and we went and did it we ever walked and you know gave people words of knowledge on the street or worship on the street or I don't know, just something. It feels like what Rick was saying last week about the focus shifting to evangelism or at least just telling the world or telling somebody or trying to go out with God's presence and encounter encounter them for him. Um, and it's like, for me, that is where I think of my family 
that's where I've really experienced family and there's people I'll, I'll always be family with and I'll, I'll know because we were on the front lines together and we actually saw God move and that's honestly that's when God's your father that's when you become part of his family um the I'm going to try and kind of round this up quite quickly but let me try and summarize the entire stuff that I've been trying to say so the back to question one again church kind of got pulled apart right so how do we put it back together <clears throat> what if just what if we put it back together with a focus on building the family of Christ instead of, build, instead of building the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ, amazing, like I said, incredible, rich metaphor, absolutely biblical. Um, some of the greatest churches and, and movements and stuff have been built by really utilizing that model and thinking, yeah, that's it, that's the one. But, you know, this, just imagine if we actually decided to just pursue family um, instead and do it in a realistic way that didn't take... Um, you know, 220 churches within a 16-mile radius, all not really, you know, doing slightly different things to each other, not really communicating with each other that much. And it just, to me, this thing, God's called us into a predestined destiny as a, as a, as His body. Um, and so, let me, I, Flick and I, um, we're feeling really called at the moment to a community. Um, we're feeling that the expression that God um, is really asking of us is family. Um, and we need to find out what that means. We need to pursue that. Um, but this this reset that's happening in church, I, th I feel like that's, for us at least, I don't know about for everybody, but that is where, um, that's where God has taken us. He's taken us to really pursue what it really is to be family. Um, what that really means. Um, and... As I said a while ago, one thing about what's your destiny and calling in Christ, the Bible reveals your personal value, but it doesn't reveal your personal destiny. It reveals how much you mean to God, and it reveals this incredible thing, which is a revelation like nothing else in, in history, that each individual is so precious and valuable to God. But it doesn't reveal your personal destiny, but it does reveal a collective destiny. Um, it, it reveals right from the beginning, and like I said, some of those Leviticus passages. This is God's plan from the get-go to actually to create family and to have a people uh, people group, which is His family. Um, so that I'll I'll bring things to an end there. I think I've gone on quite a long time, and I know that the technical issues pushed pushed it back a bit. But um, and the final thought is just you know if the world's ever gonna change you know if our time and place is ever going to change and get to know jesus um you know the one thing that i really believe the world would change if it saw the church was if it saw an authentic expression of family you know it's the thing that is lacking from the world it is the thing that you know i'm, I'm someone i said i taught in croydon to disadvantaged kids for years you know family the world is gasping for a authentic vision of what family is really like um, and we're the only ones who can who can display that we're the only ones who've, uh, who can display what family is really like we're the only ones with the, with the true father um, so that's the other thing about it I think if we're thinking about how, how we're actually going to change the world this is, <laughs> this is it how are we going to restructure church it's family how are we going to actually have some impact for God's kingdom it's family um, and it's that above giftings. I really believe that. Um, so anyway, uh, now I would usually have the notices coming at this point, but I feel like the computer might not uh, do that properly. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm assuming the whole thing stayed on all the time. It as has, well. yeah, Good. it has. <laughs> so, so we'll, uh, yeah, should we pray to finish, and then, uh, yeah. and then I'll, I'll try and Thank half of the computer Thanks to actually start that. that was awesome. Yeah, that was really awesome. And and for those of you who are asking for notes and for a kind of longer study, we'll have a chat with Mark and Cheryl about, yeah. and maybe some ways that we can get that out to you because there was. A huge amount of really, really great stuff <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, so I so always do too stuff. much. So there's actually even more in there than I said. But no, don't apologise. That was uh, yeah. awesome. That's so yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can yeah. find a way to get that stuff out to you. Um, let's yeah, let's pray together, and yeah. then um, we'll finish. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for our time together. Thank you that um, you have called us as a community, as a people group, as, as your children to be family together. Thank you, Lord, that it is our um, destiny to be conformed to your likeness, Jesus, to love like you love, to be one with one another, to be family together. Lord, we want to be bold and we want to be open to you, Holy Spirit, in finding um, new and creative and deep ways of being family together and showing one another that that love. Um, so, yeah, we just thank you for your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Mm. Thank you that we can freely um, gather, albeit virtually, together. Amen. Amen.